I wish his darkness lived outside of him because you have to know it's there to see it. Like all real monsters, he hides in plain sight. Courtney Summers, Sadie. Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm your host, Stephanie, and today I'm joined by Mackenzie Kira from the Ladies of the Fright podcast and author of the novella, All You Need is Love and an Electric Current. So welcome again to the show, Mackenzie. Hi, thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on again. I feel like we have so much fun every time you're on. Thank you. I was really excited when you uh, reached out for this particular um, theme, for this particular branch of horror, because uh, since I wrote this novella, I had been on kind of like a revenge horror kick. And so when you're like, can anyone talk about this? It's like, oh my God, I can, me, please, let's talk. I was so excited. I'm like, yes, because I love revenge stories. So I'm so excited to talk about them. Oh yeah, of course, I didn't mention in the intro, we're talking about revenge stories, revenge horror. <laughs> Although Surprise. if you, you pulled this up in your podcast, you already know that because that's the heading of this episode. <laughs> you told us a bit about your novella last time you were on to talk about romance, but it hadn't come out at that point. Uh, so can you remind us a little bit of what it's about? Sure. And I, you know, I actually have, I have the uh, description pulled up because every time I try and talk about it, I just don't feel like I've got that part down yet. I'm really like, I'm used to talking about other people and their books. And then when the spotlight got shined on me, I was like, deer in headlights. So here it is on Amazon. (laughs) All you need is love and a strong electric current. Sadie has a fetish. She likes it cold. The only man who has understood and loved her for this perversion is her ambulance partner and boyfriend, Michael. So when Michael unexpectedly gets run over by a snowplow, Sadie will stop at nothing to keep him alive, to keep bringing him back from the dead again and again for one thing and one thing only. But when Michael begins to deteriorate, when things that were once hard become loose and floppy, Sadie finds herself taking lives instead of saving them. In an effort to keep Michael's organs pumping, Sadie has to go against her paramedic training and human instincts and kill instead of rescue. But she's doing it in the name of love, so it's okay, right? Totally. So when does love turn to obsession, and how far will Sadie go for the one she loves? That sounds like a total blast. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) It was so much fun to write. Um, I did whatever I wanted. I didn't give a fuck about the market. I mean, I care about the market, but like while I was writing it, I wasn't like trying to do anything, you know, I was Mm -hmm. like, let's just see what, let's see what happens next. (laughs) Yeah. I love that you got to go dark with that, but also funny. Thank you. I hope so. I hope that that's what, um, what comes through it, uh, what speaks through for people. I hope, I hope people get to laugh. (laughs) I think they will. I well, it's part in, in case we haven't told you, it is part of the Rewind or Die series from uh, Unnerving, and all of the novellas so far that I have read have just been a total blast. They really have been. Um, Eddie really uh, tapped into something about um, how 
much we needed this, I think, like as a society. I think we were really ready for this kind of comedic release. I mean, everything has just been so fire and brimstone, you know, and there's there are things that we've needed to rise up to protect. There are things that we needed to combat and to be able to just kind of laugh, I think is so needed for sanity at this point. I agree. Yeah, they've just been a lot of fun. And what was the prompt? I remember I read kind of how they were described. It's supposed to evoke the feeling of like that 90s video store browsing the horror aisle and like looking at covers (laughs) kind Mm -hmm. of feeling. And I definitely feel like it does that. And I've been like super shocked at how much because they're all novellas like they're all under what like 200 pages ish. Yeah, they all had to be under 60K, under 60,000 words. And I think a novella is technically not even 40. And so that was that was kind of uh, the sweet spot was to write around between like 20 and 40, I think. I'm big, I've just been blown away at how much like world building and how much like character development can happen in that span. Yeah, it's a, it's a real pleasure to be a part of this particular series. Um, yeah, we had, uh, we had Jessica Guess on the podcast and we spoke with her a little bit because yeah, just, just the world building that you're talking about, she's unbelievable at it. And, you know, I, I tell her this probably way too much, but the way that she was able to give each character a voice and she give, and she has several, like yeah. many characters and each one of them just has such a distinct voice and such a distinct story. It's like, my God, my hats are just like, it, all of my hats are eternally off to her. Yeah, I loved hers. Um, Cirque Berserk, that was, I keep saying a total blast, but it was just so much fun. And <laughs> yeah. I'm always a sucker for a slasher story. Always. <laughs> yes. I'm always. always here for that. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I've been trying to get through all of them alongside like the podcast and then alongside summer reading, too. And you're right. Like every single one, it just it has its very own unique qualities, but it is supposed to like make you feel that same kind of nostalgia of, oh, my God, what am I getting myself into when I read <laughs> this particular movie from Blockbuster? <laughs> we are talking about revenge stories today. We are. So what is your favorite kind of revenge story? oh man I mean I think that I might be I really I do really love I really love a good slasher Um, but I think that my very favorite kind of revenge story is when the character has been wronged by somebody in their past and then they just go like ape shit like they just really take it to heart and the revenge is just so much more and I think that you actually have Sweeney Todd in here as one of the things that you kind of want to talk about and tap into for revenge. And so I'm really excited to talk about that because that actually is like one of my very favorite kinds of revenge where it's like, oh my God, not only did this man like take his life, but now everybody has to pay. And those are my favorite. Yeah, I do like that kind of the explosive kind of carry light stories. Yeah. I like those. Yeah, I like the the ragey <laughs> revenge. I do. I also love like, long game well thought out revenge stories long like years in the making i infiltrated this company and my moment comes where i rip off the mustache and really tell you how i did it (laughs) yes like at the the culmination at the end of like let me tell you my grisly tale of you know of everything that i felt like i needed to do yeah like that's more like the count of monte cristo like style (laughs) i love that yeah um 
that's like one of those really big thick books too that when you're young and you get through it you feel so good and like even if you didn't really absorb it the way you would as an adult I feel like it's so cool like to have that like pat on the back too it's definitely one of those books where it's like listen you know what I've read I've read Count of Monte Cristo and yeah I actually yeah. have not I watched the movie I attempted so, so many, many times <laughs> I attempted it so many times and I'm like I can't I can't do this <laughs> have you read it when I was super little, and yeah. I have not read it since because <laughs> I I felt very accomplished, and I just haven't felt the need to pick it back up. <laughs> well, as you should. That is an accomplishment. <laughs> I picked it up multiple times. I think I the furthest I made it was like 150 pages, and I'm like, I can't. But that's I'm... so good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it is. Yes. For whatever it's worth, I think that I've maybe made it through like the first page and a half of Tale of Two Cities. Like, I tried uh-huh. desperately to do Dickens, and I just, I failed miserably. Uh, he is very hit or miss with me. Like, mm-hmm. I love Great Expectations. Great Expectations is one of my favorite books. I cannot get through A Tale of Two Cities. <laughs> no, it just shouldn't be a requirement anymore. I think it's one of those books where we should just, like, put it on a top shelf, let it gather dust, and be like, yeah, that was fun when that was, you know, a big hit in the what 18th 19th century I don't even know I don't even know I'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) so yeah we were alluding to it earlier but there are a lot of good movies about revenge whole movie and musical talking about Sweeney Todd yes the Stephen Sondheim musical and also the Tim Burton Johnny Depp movie and if we want to stay talking about Tim Burton and turn it into a Tim Burton episode I feel like we could do that yeah I see your poster in the back yeah (laughs) yes um yeah, I love him. When you were first started talking to me about um, about revenge movies, I think that the one that I really wanted to talk about, the one that I love so very much is A Nightmare on Elm Street. That is definitely like one of my very favorite ones ever. And I was introduced to it very, very late um, because my mom was like way more into sci-fi. And so I actually kind of have like a really early introduction to dark science fiction and probably dark fantasy way earlier than I do horror. And so I'm kind of catching up on horror. And when I thought I was maybe writing a slasher, because my novella isn't like a straight slasher. Like, she does get slashy, but she's not a slasher. And so Stephen Graham Jones was kind enough to give me some homework to do, and I'm like, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. I think I'm writing a slasher, and I don't really know what I'm doing. So he gave me this, like, long list of things to do, of um, movies to watch, and... That was probably one of my favorites because it knew that it was supposed to be funny. There are a lot of slashers, I think, that took themselves seriously and they shouldn't have. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, what comes to mind there is My Bloody Valentine. Oh, my God. (laughs) The new one or the old one? The old one. I think that it was maybe maybe late 70s, early 80s. It was the first one. It was a new one. And it took itself very seriously. Um, I mean, there were these like, there were these guys that were cast as they were supposed to be like maybe teenagers or early 20s. And these guys were probably like approaching 40. And yeah. they were going to a Valentine's Day dance. I like, was just gonna say, I'm like, it looks like they're going to a school dance. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, as who is like the weird, creepy uncle? <laughs> well, that is a revenge story. Um, I didn't really want to bring that one up too much because honestly I just kind of ate popcorn and laughed which I think is really so important with certain slashers because um, I definitely did that with the Nightmare on Elm Street but 
that one was a was so so incredibly well done. It laughed at itself. I mean, when Johnny Depp disappears into the bed with a TV following him, you just really can't match that scene ever. <laughs> it's like, oh no! Not only did he get eaten by his bed and exploded, but a TV fell on him too, like a heavy one from the eighties. <laughs> Yeah, he got full on like sucked into his bed and then he became like a cyclone of blood. <laughs> yeah, like way more blood than any human has in their body. Like it just volcanoes. <laughs> a Nightmare on Elm Street is one of my favorite horror movies ever. I love it so much. I'm so glad that we're talking about it then because yes, it it, it rocketed to the top of my very favorite movies list very quickly. Um and, you know, part of that, too, is because it has a bitch in Final Girl. And I just, I really, really have it out for Final Girls, and I don't mean to. I just, I wish that they had all, you know, and this is, like, a big side note for Final Girls, is, like, I wish that they were already strong and could find out that they could be even stronger, as opposed to starting out with kind of, like, a with like a weaker personality and finding strength within. Like, while I appreciate those stories... It's like, nah, man, like, give me Nancy from Nightmare on Elm Street. Like, I want a bad bitch to get badder. Yeah, I love Nancy. I feel like she is like Enneagram 6 because she started doing her homework. Like, she was reading Mm -hmm. books on how to booby trap her house. Exactly. Oh, man, what made me see eye to eye with Nancy is that she had, like, coffee under her bed brewing, you know? She's like, I'm ready for this. Like, I've got my coffee (laughs) pot on. Like, (laughs) Yeah, she's like pretending to be asleep and her mom leaves and she's like Haha, like you thought you got me i'm I, pulling out my working coffee maker <laughs> i love literally that. brewing coffee as we speak it's such a fire hazard she's got a <laughs> coffee maker under her bed <laughs> and i love that it's like there's so many things that you could as a teenager be hiding under your bed from your parents and that's what she's got so that she can <laughs> stay awake to go and like get the killer and so i love that about her i think it's so cool also like i always do this rant but all the adults on elm street are absolutely terrible not just because like Useless. they're the reason that this is happening in the first place mm-hmm. but just they are never there for people when they need them like at the end when like i think it's when they go to glenn's house and she like tells her dad like dad like give me 15 minutes like come back here in 15 minutes and like you'll get up I'm like yeah and he just totally ignores her <laughs> i'm like you had one job like she asked you to do one thing <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah it is weird because freddie's arc is that he is getting revenge even though he was kind of like the bad to begin with he wasn't like an innocent person that was wronged yeah. He was a, a child murderer. And I think in the remake, there's a little more implications on that. I think I think in the 1984 one, they kind of danced around what they wanted to say. And then I think they implied it a little more in the remake with Freddy's backstory. Mm-hmm. I completely agree about that for sure. And I think that that kind of is what this particular brand of movie asks us to do is they ask us to be kind of like almost on the same side as the killer to understand that they're getting revenge for a certain thing. Like they feel that they have been wronged and almost makes you wonder if you, as the good person, have you wronged the wrong person? How many more times can I fit wrong into there? (laughs) I mean, he was burned alive by like a crowd of uh, people getting vigilante justice. So yeah, it's hard. It's a tough stance. (laughs) 
like, well, should they have really let the court figure it out? Or should they have just yeah, done it? Well, they did. And he got off on that, like, little loophole. Yeah. And so that's when they're like, we're taking the law into our own, own hands. hands. That's right. Thank you, Stephanie. Now you're completely right. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely something that I have thought about regarding Freddy was why would he, if he has this ability to be in dreamscape world, why did he wait for the children? That's always something that I've wondered. It's like, why did he particularly wait for the teenagers of the people who burned him? Like, I just don't know why he wouldn't go for the people who did that. I don't know if it's like where it's going to hurt them most because he knew that it'd be so crazy that they wouldn't believe their children when they told them this mm. and they would not be able to do anything to stop it. I don't know. These are my theories. If you watch all the Elm Street movies, there's a lot of things that if you just like really think about it, don't make a whole lot of sense <laughs> regarding Freddy and his choices and his abilities and his origin story and just a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just watched Sleepaway Camp for the first time. <laughs> And died laughing. It's amazing. Yes. It's yeah. so horrible. It's so horrible in all the best ways. Like, it's really bad. Um, and then, you know, it came up on it came up on Amazon. Like, hey, you know, there's another one. <laughs> I looked at the franchise and I'm like, this is happening. And so while I'm, while I'm working, I'm watching The Sleepaway. Um, and I actually, the second one I thought was a lot better. Um, really? I have not ventured into the others in the franchise. Oh, my God. <laughs> I do. I do love the first one. Everyone is just acting so hard. Like, everyone is, like, yelling their lines. It is, yes, absolutely. The, oh, man, have you, okay, ride with me here. Have you seen Team America? No. Okay. Um, At one point, they're, like, cheering the actor on, and they're, like, saying, like, that's the best acting. Act. Act. And so my husband and I will do that when we see a movie that's, like, just so so bad like you said like they're acting so hard my husband and i will sit there and be like act act (laughs) yeah there's just so many interesting acting choices and all the little short shorts on the guys oh (laughs) like baby tiny short shorts oh my god it is amazing and i also really i can really appreciate like the men's legs like they very clearly waxed for this like they did this everything. This moment. This, they were going to be found, dude. Like, <laughs> and here I'm pulling up. Let's see, we've got, I know what you did last summer as something else that we were going to discuss, right? Yeah. Did you watch that one? Yes. I watched the old one. It's just, yeah. I was going to say the old one and the new one, but it's just the one, isn't it? It's got two sequels. Okay. Uh, yeah. It's got like, I still know what you did last summer. That's and that right. one's got like Jennifer Love Hewitt. And then, like, Brandy. Mm-hmm. And then there's a third sequel that I have not seen, and I cannot tell you anything about. And That's I don't even know, like, what the title of it is. Like, I still still know. Like, I still didn't forget. I don't know. I don't a, know what it's called. <laughs> sometimes I have a hard time remembering all of these because I watched them kind of all mashed together. And so a lot of the names have disappeared on me. Like, I know that I have seen some of these movies, but I'm like, I have no idea who the main character is. And so people will start, like, talking about their favorite, like, like their favorite main character in some of uh, 
in some of the older slashers. And I'm just like, I know that I've seen this movie, but I'm going to have to look at my phone for one brief moment. <laughs> That's how it was. I marathoned all the Friday the 13th movies one summer. Oh. So to me, they are just like a continuous story. And I can't tell you <laughs> what part goes into which installment unless it's like very specifically like crazy, like Jason X is in space. <laughs> you know? Like a Jason, yeah, Jason takes Manhattan is like on a boat most of the time. Oh my and god! And then in like Manhattan slash like very clearly Toronto. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like unless it's like those or the very first one, all the other ones are just like a giant mush pile. Yeah, like I'm like, yeah. There's like the farm one. There's like the <laughs> sack. Like. Uh, What's his face? Crispin Glover is there. Like, they are all just yep. yeah. <laughs> together. Well, and I'm sure that I'm offending somebody, too, by uh, by not being able to keep them 100% straight all of the time. Because that's definitely how I feel with either Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones. Like, I know what happened in the Game of Thrones books. Like, or this, or, you know, or the series or the movies for Lord of the Rings. Because I did not read those books. I'm sorry. Yeah. And so I know as a person, I get, like, highly offended when someone's like, oh, all the Game of Thrones, they just blend together. And I'm like... <sighs> It takes me a moment to, like, gather myself and be like, whoa there, whoa there. If somebody was like, hey, (laughs) Mackenzie, pop quiz on all of the horror movies that you watched that one summer after your son was born. (laughs) I don't know. I have a hard time with the Lord of the Rings movies because I think, again, I watch them all just, like, together. Like, I can't tell you what happens in this, which my husband would die. That's, like, his favorite. book series movie Aww. series ever mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know like could be like you know like in Lord of the Rings and I'm like no I don't yeah. I don't know so it just doesn't happen I feel like that could t- uh also be um more of like a cultural thing like it's like you just need to know a little bit about Lord of the Rings just to get through like mm-hmm. that's kind of how I convinced my husband to watch some of the Star Wars movies because I am a huge 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 nerd when it comes to Star Wars and my husband just could not care less And so I was like, you do, like, to be married to me, you do need to see these. (laughs) You don't have to love them the way I do. I can compromise, but you do need to see them. (laughs) That was my husband. Yeah, we watched, I mean, I had seen Lord of the Rings, but I watched it again with him. And then when we were dating, I made him watch, like, all the Godfathers. I technically just said the first two. I'm like, you don't need to watch the third one. But he went and watched the third one. Because he loves you. He's just a completist. And I'm like, you don't need that taste in your mouth. (laughs) Just the first two, perfect duology. Leave it as is. There you go. Um, I brought up Game of Thrones because that's actually like a a sub-theme, sub-genre, I guess what we could say, to horror as far as revenge stories go. I mean, they built a whole franchise off of and one family being wronged you know off of a off of revenge you know danny needs to get back to westeros to uh reclaim her throne that was taken from her yep and aria's got her list yep i'm more familiar with the show so if that very if that veers off from the books you're I'm fine sorry. that is my like touchstone <laughs> is the hbo series Honestly, I saw the HBO series more recently than I've read the books, and so that's what's fresh in my head. And so mm-hmm. I don't know if I would actually be able to argue with you if you were to say, oh, it's not in the books. I would just go along with you. It's like, yeah, I don't know. And then did you watch um, Revenge on Shudder? Um, 
so I was a little confused about when you put that on here. Um, I saw that there's a revenge movie, and then there's mm-hmm. also the series Revenge. I didn't know that. Okay. Just the movie. <laughs> I was a total nerd for the series Revenge, but I don't believe it's horror. It's kind of just like straight oh, on revenge. on ABC. Yeah, that one. Okay. So no, I haven't I- seen the one on Shutter. Please tell me about it because I actually have it queued up right now. I was like, I looked at the time to see if I could, um, to see if I could watch it. But before I, before I started, I wanted to make sure I was watching the right one. Because if we were talking about the series, I didn't want to come on and be like, yeah, the movie was great. <laughs> yeah, it kind of falls into like the rape revenge umbrella. Okay. It follows a young woman who is assaulted and left for dead in the desert by three men where she recovers and seeks vengeance upon her attackers. Whoa. Yeah, I will say at least it did not have like a gratuitous rape scene, thank goodness, because I not be down for that. Mm-mm. But yeah, it was a, I mean, I hesitate to say a fun time. <laughs> You don't really, yeah, I, I understand what you mean, for sure. It's like, this was a good watch without condoning <laughs> a horrible rape. Yeah, I mean, it is cathartic to see her get revenge on these people. And it, it definitely has its, like, supernatural elements. Just, mm-hmm. I mean, the way she is left for dead and then, like, miraculously, like, <laughs> recovers from that is, like, a little over the top. And you just have to buy into it. You just have to be like, okay. That yeah. is the world we are living in. <laughs> she is impaled and just like gets back up like nothing. Like just just go with it. <laughs> yep. Yep. That uh that kinda has like a really nostalgic throwback though to the movies where, you know, like in um oh man, I, I'm gonna say like Rambo, but honestly I can't tell you if he was shot multiple times, but I know that he is one of those characters that kind of continuously gets back up even when he absolutely should not. Like, I really do appreciate when the characters are shot once and then they're just down. You know, it's not again and again and again. Because then you're in Jason Voorhees territory. Yeah. You're just like a supernatural being mm-hmm. unable to be touched by like mortal weapons at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and then you really can't be, that character really can't be revived without the supernatural element because there's no way to really continue talking about somebody who just got shot by that many by that many bullets or impaled by that many knives and uh stabbed i guess is the better word because impaled is something different um but yeah it's like no i think you really need to stick to the the one and done if you want a sequel for sure so i see you also have books here that we aren't mentioning on the episode as like our technical picks, but are still good revenge stories that have revenge as kind of like a subplot. Yeah, I do. Um, I just finished The Good House by Tanana Reeve Dew. And I feel like that has got um, a, I feel like that has got a serious revenge undertone because there is this fight between the family and old gods that had been invoked previously. And I feel like that kind of has the push-pull that a revenge story does. I haven't read that one. That one is, like, on my physical shelf to read list. Hard to remember, like, what I do know about it is the main family, they lost a child. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's really what I know about it. Yeah. And so I mentioned the push-pull, and I do feel like that that's important for revenge because you have to believe through part of the revenge that 
both parties might make it out. Somebody is going to win. And so I feel like you have to pick a party in revenge stories. You know, you kind of almost have to like question your own self. And I'm not suggesting that we're questioning ourselves for like, for Freddie. You know, it's like we all want Nancy to live, you know? And so I do think that that is necessary for revenge is kind of like a blanket unless there's been something really truly horrible done and then someone's kind of rising to the occasion to, you know, finish it off, I suppose, is like the best way of saying it. I'm going very blankety right now. Well, like on the revenge movie that I was just talking about, there's definitely, well, I don't know if this is spoiling it. <laughs> well, I mean, no, because I'm assuming going into this, you know that she's going to get her revenge. The right. movie is literally titled Revenge. revenge. <laughs> <laughs> but in the movie, she doesn't have like this clear upper hand all the time that I think I, as the viewer, like really wanted for like my catharsis. Like I wanted her to be like on a mountaintop, like sniping these idiots. Right. Like, you know, just like. But a lot of times it was more like she's doing hand-to-hand combat and she is getting the crap beaten out of her. Mm -hmm. And like, you don't know. (laughs) And she might not win. Yeah, there's a lot of that. And I was like, I don't know. I wanted it to be a little more (laughs) revenge-y. I wanted her to like rip her mustache off. (laughs) A fun little reveal. It's like, I need that. Yeah. Um, Catharsis is a great word for it because I do feel like so much of it is behind. Like, you know, there's a lot of... um, there's a lot of things in the world right now going unpunished. And so I think that revenge stories are really important right now because we kind of want to be behind that person who does get that revenge. And through that, we can live vicariously and feel that satisfaction. That, yeah, justice catharsis. We we need that as much as we need to laugh. Well, also in like Gone Girl, you've read slash seen Gone Girl, right? So that is my secret. I have not. I'm sorry. <laughs> I feel bad because it is like such a spoiler. That no, like... please do. I, uh, no, I don't believe in spoilers because I will read or watch like mostly anything. Basically, the only thing anyone ever could have ruined for me is that Darth Vader, spoiler, is Luke's father. So I can't believe you just ruined that for I'm me. I'm sorry. <laughs> those are the kinds of spoilers i believe in so by all means please spoil away i'm excited i will no matter what read slash watch it okay so i don't know if anyone does not want gone girl to be spoiled for you hit that 15 second jump ahead button a few times (laughs) a few times (laughs) Um, so amy mary's Nick and he's cheating on her I mean and there's like a lot more to it than that like it is not just that he is cheating on her but she frames him for her murder and when you get that reveal in like the middle of the book of how like methodically she did this and how she wrote all these like diary entries to lead the police to Nick and she like charged up all his credit cards to give him motive it is like so much and in the movie um I think it's done like a little more methodically to where she's like staging the crime scene and you see her like sitting on the kitchen floor, like reading a book. She has an IV in her arm, like drawing blood that she then like spills everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. So she's going to frame him for her like disappearance Mm -hmm. slash murder. I mean, you do find out like Amy is a straight up like psychopath. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Those details would not have led you to believe that. (laughs) I never ever would have thought that just based from the title. (laughs) (laughs) that she would have done that gone girl was actually like gone girl (laughs) (laughs) it's just nick is such a like douchebag that you're like i think part of every woman when they read it or watch it they're like 
she deserves it like good for her yeah 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 um I I want to base like I feel like life kind of needs to be taken with a grain of little shop of horrors because like they're one of the lines that I just absolutely love from the plant from Audrey too oh man no so no Rick Moranis says it he goes I don't know anyone who deserves to get chopped up and fed to a hungry plant and then Audrey too goes oh sure you do and it's like, yep, we all know there are people who deserve to get chopped up and fed to a hungry plant. <laughs> Seriously. Oh, you have a... So going back to books, sorry, we are all over the place. <laughs> but We Sold Our Souls is a great one. Yeah. By Grady Hendrix. So in that one, it's like a metal band, but the lead singer gets famous on his own and kind of ditches his bandmates and they all kind of leave these like really sad, mediocre lives mm-hmm. until Chris kind of discovers that there's a reason why that is. Mm-hmm. That they live these very mediocre lives and can't find success in music. Yes. That's because their souls got sold. <laughs> he's uh, he's great with titles, Grady. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's so good. The uh, and I mean, I'm basing it just off of like what the couple of books that are out by him right now. But it's just like, it's perfect. It's on the nose in just the very best way. It lets you know exactly what's going on. And for that, I feel like it's a lot like Gone Girl, like what you were just saying. And again, that's one that I haven't watched or read, but be like okay I kind of already know what's going on based on the title and I think that that is like some serious art right there on his part on Grady's part being able to name his books so well it's like my best friend's exorcism well there's gonna be an exorcism and they're best friends (laughs) or the southern book club's guide to slaying vampires Mm, I have a feeling that maybe there's gonna be vampires they gonna get slain yep And so we do have some, not horror, but definitely revenge type stories, like probably the most popular, I'm going to say Batman. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. These are ones that I just kind of was throwing out there because I was, um, well, and the Punisher, I would say probably those. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's in the name. (laughs) It's in the name. <laughs> We're finding I mean, that's a like trend. His, that's like his whole deal. It is. Yep. It's absolutely the thing. And, you know, Bruce Wayne, he would never have become Batman if something horrible hadn't happened to him that he felt he needed to avenge. And so I think that uh, this is, I think this particular theme that you've chosen, I wonder, and this is, you know, part of perhaps a much bigger conversation Um, but I wonder if this just isn't part of the human condition is that we just so badly as people want to see justice served cold. And I think that we can kind of follow, uh, definitely Batman for sure, because, um, wasn't until the more recent movie came out. I'm not sure how much I really, I I mean, I, I can probably spoil some of this, right? Have you seen the Joker? Have you seen the the most recent Joker? Oh no, I haven't seen the Joker. No, I just don't. I don't know how closely everybody is following it in comic book book world because I'm definitely an avid viewer, but I'm not a reader of comics anymore. I used to be, um, but anyway, um, I feel like we can definitely follow Batman on this path of like he felt like he he wouldn't have become who he is, and now I'm repeating myself and I'm going cyclical. Please stop me. <laughs> 
I feel like we probably should have gotten Batman some therapy. Yes. And maybe gotten him to invest his money into social programs in Gotham, but maybe that's just my... (laughs) You think that we should feed starving children with the money that could have gone into making the Batmobile? Whoa there, Stephanie. I mean, (laughs) someone that uses to choose their funds to, like, dress up every night and go beat up, like, the mentally ill of Gotham. Um, I mean, I don't know. I'm just saying, like, maybe... Scale back the manor a little. But that's the home (laughs) he was raised in. It's his childhood home, Stephanie. I'm not saying he has to tear down his home, but he doesn't need, like, three stories underground of, like, gadgets. Of toys. (laughs) Every man who listens to that that has, like, jet skis and tractors are pulling their hair out right now. With that, are we ready to talk about some books? Let's do it, man. I'm ready. This episode is brought to you by Libro FM. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. I am in Pittsburgh. I don't know if you knew that about me. I feel like I never mentioned that about myself. I'm totally kidding. Uh, but I was looking through and I actually found my local bookstore on here, Riverstones. So I was really excited. So you can look through and find your local bookstore on there. You can choose from more than 150,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro FM, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the one I'm talking about. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. You can listen while doing chores, walking the dog, relaxing at home. I mean, we're all doing a lot of that right now. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro FM app. If you already love audiobooks and you just don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best. Local booksellers. Listeners of Books in the Freezer can get two books for the price of one. Just go to Libro.fm, L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter code FREEZERBOOK. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. Thank you, Libro.fm. Uh, well, the first book I wanted to talk about is Sadie by Courtney Summers. This is a young adult, like, thriller, mystery, like, very lightly horror-adjacent and If you pick this up, I am telling you, you need to do it on audiobook. Trigger warnings for child abuse and sexual abuse. But this story follows Sadie, who is a teenager on a revenge mission to bring her little sister's killer to justice after a botched police investigation. The chapters are split up. So on the alternate chapters, you are following a serial-esque podcast called The Missing Girls. And that's reporting on the case of Sadie and the fact that she's missing and also what happened to her sister. So he like goes to her hometown and like interviews her family. And just like the production quality of the audiobook on those chapters is like a podcast. Like it has like the little like true crime violin <laughs> intro and everything. And, you know, it's, he's like describing what the town looks like. And it's just if you listen to a podcast at all, it will feel so legit. Oh, that's awesome. Um, And then, yeah, on the alternate chapters, you are following Sadie, like, first person on her mission to, like, track this guy down, and she is going to confront him. Whoa. Ooh, that sounds exciting. It is just, uh, 
so good. I don't want to say too much about it. I think if you don't read it but are like curious about it, I think you can just listen to the podcast. I think it's just called The Missing Girls or The Girls. Uh, But I just highly recommend picking up this story. It is so good. It was one of my favorites the year I read it. I think it was 2018. Um, So as I mentioned, not really horror, horror light. So I'm going to say room temperature. There are some very difficult situations that very comparable to listening to a serial podcast. And you're also listening to the subject of the podcast tell her own story of, you know, as this guy's like speculating like where she is and where she could be, you're hearing her say like where she actually is and what Ooh. she is actually doing. Ooh. So uh, it's just so good. I loved this book so much. And that is Sadie by Courtney Summers. Ooh, how very exciting. That sounds great. I've actually been um, really interested in finding something else that I might be able to listen to while I work. A large portion of what I do while I work, I'm, I'm basically like just reading student papers. And so I read the student paper, but then kind of as I'm closing everything up, I have the ability to kind of be on autopilot and listen. And so I've been looking for something that kind of gave me a really good experience, but wasn't necessarily completely horror. Because yeah, it's nice to be able to listen without having to like pause and calm my heartbeat down a little bit, you know? <laughs> Man, so the first book that came to my mind when uh, when we started talking about this was Horns by Joe Hill. So let's see. So if you haven't already uh, picked this up and read it, let me give you a quick summary. Marin Williams is dead, slaughtered under inexplicable circumstances, leaving her beloved boyfriend, Ignatius Parrish, as the only suspect. On the first anniversary of Marin's murder, Ig spends the night drunk and doing awful things. When he wakes up the next morning, he has a thunderous hangover and horns growing from his temples. Ig possesses a terrible new power to go out uh, to go out with his terrible new look, a macabre gift he intends to use to find the monster who killed his lover. Being good and praying for the best got him nowhere. Now it's time for ba-bum-bum revenge. So I really love that it actually had that little like summarizing thing where it said, now it's time for revenge at the very end. Because, I mean, if you're looking for a revenge book, that is, like, that, and I feel really confident in saying that this is, this is super horror. Like, this is supernatural, this is horror, this is Joe Hill at his best. Um, it is, it is completely about finding who done it and punishing them. Yes. I really enjoyed this book because, I mean, yeah, on one hand, you do have the fact that he is avenging his lover, but he's also kind of like fixing his reputation because the whole town thinks he did it and they treat him like it. They treat him like garbage. They do. And he, because he came from like a wealthy family and he wasn't convicted of her murder and he thinks, the town thinks those two things are connected, even though like he very much did not do it. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is so important to the story because even... If I remember correctly, even his parents are kind of questioning the validity of what he says. Yeah. It was a fun story. (laughs) It was. And I think my very favorite part, I think, is actually just that first opening line. of, And I think it's something along the lines of like, you know, Ignatius Parrish woke up with horns the next day with horns growing out of his head or something along those lines. It's like this guy has horns. Boom. And here you are. Oh my God, like, please excuse my beating heart. That is so incredibly perfect. It's the best thing to do for, um, like, suspending disbelief because I felt one of the things I was concerned about with this book, and, you know, maybe, you know, tell me if you were too, I was nervous that he wasn't going to be able to pull off the idea that this guy just had horns. Um, And because 
that would have been so very difficult, I think, to do well. And Joe Hill just kind of went right past that. It's like, obviously, he did it so well. I just didn't expect him to do it so upfront, and it worked. And I don't know if you could do that unless you're Joe Hill. Unless you could just be like, we're talking about a guy who just randomly has horns growing out of his head. Ready, set, go. It's nuts. Yeah, like, this is this is the world that we are playing in. Like, keep up. Let's go. Yep. <laughs> it's fridge. Um, because I don't necessarily feel like it is... It's suspenseful, but I don't feel like it's scary, you know? Like, I Uh definitely was with Ig the whole time, um, but I never felt like I needed to stop reading so that I could sleep peacefully, you know? So that's Horns by Joe Hill. All right, my next pick is Cold Moon Over Babylon. This is by Michael McDowell. Trigger warnings for rape and sexual assault in this story. And if you don't know, Michael McDowell was also the author of The Elementals, but uh, he was the screenwriter, I want to say, for The Nightmare Before Christmas and Beetlejuice. Wow. So, yeah, he, he did a lot um, unfortunately, I think he only had like a handful of books and I enjoy them so much whenever I pick them up that I feel like I have to savor them. Like I don't want to read too many of them in a row because there's only so many. Mm-hmm. You have to savor them. Just I'm waiting till the right time that I can just like savor that. So I read, anyway, all that to say, I read Cold Moon Over Babylon. This is about a small Florida town called, you guessed it, Babylon, that faces a tragedy when a young girl is drowned in the river. And, you know, she was very purposefully drowned. They find her, like, tied to a bike that was weighted down. So it's pretty gruesome. It's soon discovered that she was pregnant. You find out that the father is... The father and murderer was a wealthy man who was out of reach from the law. But there's something stirring in the murky river of Babylon, and it is watching, and it wants to make him pay. Whoa. Man, I feel like I just need a second to, like, take that in. That sounds very cool. And two, just the fact that he wrote the script for Beetlejuice kind of already has me on board. Yeah, so I think from what I heard, like, his original script was, like, really dark. (laughs) And they had to like dial it back to keep it like where it where it's at, where it's a little more like spooky, kind of lighthearted. I have a question for you regarding this book. Do you feel like this is one of the things that is kind of overdone? It's soon discovered that she was pregnant. I wonder, because I feel like that's kind of the hook in a lot of revenge. I don't feel like it's overdone, but I am starting to see more of it. In what way? I, I guess is like the, well, listen, if this kill wasn't bad enough the victim was also pregnant and so it's kind of like a her life plus another somehow makes it worse and it does like that's now two lives so i don't know i was wondering what you were thinking about that i get what you're saying with that i mean in this case that kind of was like the reason she was confronting him got it uh and he didn't want to deal with this and it was just kind of easier for her to just go away completely (laughs) got it got it okay um because yeah that was also after a non-consensual sexual encounter it's just it's a lot like when i this is one of the most hateable antagonists i have ever read like i hated this guy so 
much. I'm noticing a theme in the books that you've picked. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. He is just the worst. And so, yeah, it's this very supernatural revenge story in this small town. And it's got this very southern gothic vibe. Mm -hmm. And it's just real good. That's right. I definitely suggest people pick it up like this and the elementals by him so far i have read have both been amazing awesome i'm gonna say this is teetering between fridge and freezer there's a lot of like horrifying things that happen but i think i'm putting this in the fridge Mm -hmm. that is cold moon over babylon by michael mcdowell awesome all right and so the next one i picked um i'm gonna try my very hardest to not spoil too much of these other two because i picked them from um my summer reads so the next one i picked was uh the only good indians by stephen graham jones probably not a huge surprise that i picked this one considering i was just talking about slashers but i just i don't know how to talk about revenge this year and then not include this book oh definitely i'm so glad you picked it (laughs) oh good okay Okay, here we go. So seamlessly blending classic horror and a dramatic narrative with sharp social commentary, The Only Good Indians follows four American Indian men after a disturbing event from their youth, pulls them in a a desperate struggle for their lives. Tracked by an entity bent on revenge, these childhood friends are helpless as the culture and traditions they left behind catch up to them in a violent and vengeful way. This book, I think, is one of the books I kind of had in mind when I was speaking a little earlier about the push-pull for revenge, you kind of have to figure out who, which side you're on. Because with this particular book, I feel like it is very easy to empathize with both parties, with the those that are being killed and then those that are doing the killing. You know, I think Stephen just has a really great way of doing that with a lot of his books, is to make you question where your line is and where you belong on a personal standpoint because where you know with the nightmare or excuse me nightmare on elm street you don't really want to align yourself with freddie but in this particular book if you align yourself but he is pretty funny but he is pretty funny (laughs) (laughs) now i said that but i do put freddie pants on my child on my toddler he totally has striped freddie pants if you put yourself with the killer in this particular book, that actually kind of makes you one of the good guys. That's not the case if you're on Freddy's side in Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> and so, yeah. so I do love that about this particular book. Um, and I think that, I, I think that he worked really hard to make everybody um, kind of on a very level playing field of, of uh, kind of humanizing even those that aren't human. So I just, I really do, I deeply love this book and it's definitely one that everybody should read this year. I think that it is important because we were just talking about those like those closed circles of justice because somehow Stephen does that and he makes it really beautiful and it's cathartic. It's something that we all desperately need this year. And I think it's getting the attention it deserves too. I was reading the other day that it's now like an international bestseller. Like, holy oh, shit. Nice. Yeah, and it's gone into like a, uh, last I heard it had gone into a fourth printing, and so I'm really curious about if we'll go into a fifth by the end of the year. I'm sure it will. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I'd go ahead and I think that I would put this in the freezer, because there are parts of the book that are just, they make you want to throw up, <laughs> like, <laughs> in like the best way. <laughs> um, 
I don't know if that is maybe is because it's so tense. And then all of this like gross, awful, wonderful stuff happens. And so I think that I would put it in the freezer because not for the scare, but because of like the, like the body, the bodily reaction, I guess is the better word to say than it made me want to throw up. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it was definitely like one of those books where I was reading it and I was like, oh, we're going, oh, we're going there. Okay. We're there. Wow. All right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think that that's something that he has always been capable of doing, but does really, really well in this book is like, we're going to go not just one step farther, but like 10 steps farther. I really liked this book. And then I got the audiobook from Libro FM. Like I got the ebook from Nat Galley. And then I listened to it again. Like I reread it mm-hmm. a few months later through audiobook. And I loved it even more. And I rated it. Like I think it went from like four stars to five stars. So I was like, this is just like such a good book. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, you follow all four of the people that it's following yeah kind of like without giving too much away but you spend enough time with them that like you said there is that push pull where you get you relate to these people you feel what they're going through you see their family life you see their day-to-day you see what they have to lose yes yes and what they've built since then and what kind of people they are since then yeah Uh, that was the only good indians by stephen graham jones That is a good one. I was excited when I saw that on there. I'm like, yeah. Cool. Cool. My last pick is called Revenge. (laughs) (laughs) By Yoko Ogawa. This was translated from Japanese by Steven Snyder. These are interconnected short stories. And since this one follows like a bunch of people, I am just going to read the synopsis. Sinister forces draw together a cast of desperate characters in this eerie and absorbing novel from Yoko Ogawa. An aspiring writer moves into a new apartment and discovers that her landlady has murdered her husband. Years later, the writer's stepson reflects upon his stepmother and the strange stories she used to tell him. Meanwhile, a surgeon's lover vows to kill him if he does not leave his wife. Before she can follow through on her crime of passion, though, The surgeon will cross paths with another remarkable woman, a cabaret singer whose heart beats delicately outside of her body. But when the surgeon promises to repair her condition, he sparks the jealousy of another man who would like to preserve the heart in a custom tailored bag. Murderers and mourners, mothers and children, lovers and innocent bystanders, their fates converge in a darkly beautiful web that they are each powerless to escape. Like I loved this story because it's so many just like interconnected vignettes and you'll be reading a story and think like but who is this person and then they'll say something and you'll go like oh okay so he was the person that was like two stories ago and he was just kind of like on the fringes of that okay so he's on the same subway car as like this person and like that's like kind of the fun of reading it and kind of seeing how everything is all connected oh cool and i have like a bit of a, a quote passage just like the tone of this book just so people get a feel for like some of the narrative style Mm -hmm. for a torture to be effective (laughs) the pain has to be spread out it has to come at regular intervals with no end in sight the waterfalls drop after drop after drop like the second hand of a watch carving up time 
The shock of each individual drop is insignificant, but the sensation is impossible to ignore. At first, one might manage to think about other things, but after five hours, after 10 hours, it becomes unendurable. The repeated stimulation excites the nerves to a point where they literally explode and every sensation in the body is absorbed into that one spot on the forehead. Indeed, you begin to feel you are nothing but a forehead into which a fine needle is being forced millimeter by millimeter. You can't sleep or even speak, hypnotized by a suffering that is greater than any mere pain. In general, the victim goes mad before a day has passed. Whoa. <laughs> That's so wicked. Oh, uh, and the crazy thing, dude, is like I was prepared to kind of start giggling. I think I may have a couple of times, like at the very beginning, because it's taking itself so very seriously. And then at the oh my god, by the end I was just very spellbound. Because well, I think it's like one of those things where it's like, as a person, you're probably like, Yeah, I can handle a drop on my forehead. Yeah. Like, I would take that if I had a choice between that and, like, getting my hand chopped off. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And that it's so funny you were thinking that because, of course, I was, I was like, on a very similar vein in my own thought process. I'm like, oh, I think that that would be fine. I'd probably just go to sleep. Like, it'd be very rhythmic. You know, white noise for your head. Yeah. And But then at the end, it just really calls you out on thinking that. It's like, uh, no, bitch. If you're human... Uh, this will drive you mad. It's like a scientific torture. It's crazy. Really lends itself to the writer, too. That's oh, in- yeah. that's amazing. Really well written. Yeah, I mean, they're, um, each little vignette is like a different perspective. But yeah, just like some of these perspectives are just so like matter of fact and removed and just like kind of sinister in their, yeah. Yeah. In their revenge. Um, I'm going to go like, yeah, between room temperature and fridge. So yeah, there is little vignettes like the one that I read but then there are some that are much less consequential or a little lower stakes than that so they they very much vary on what their revenge is yeah some of these deal with weird macabre instances uh usually in a voice that's detached it has kind of like a somber sadness to it and I would say like a light creepiness so I'm gonna go with room temperature and that is revenge by Yoko Ogawa I'm very interested to pick that one up. It uh, the writing alone, um, yeah. staggering. So the next book that I picked is uh, *The Deep* by Almakatsu, and I'm thrilled that you let me leave this one in here because I was kind of warring with myself about if it's completely revenge or not. But I've settled on that I think that it is. It's like revenge with a good setting. Um, and that's something that I feel like Alma does so very well. You know, she did this with the hunger also. It's like there is yeah. a story within the story, and that's what makes her a freaking master. She is so good. Anyway, I will read the, uh, I'll read the description. Um, someone or something is haunting the ship. Between mysterious disappearances and sudden deaths, the guests on the Titanic have found themselves suspended in an eerie, unsettling twilight zone from the moment they set sail. Several of them, including maid Annie Helby or Annie Hebley, excuse me, guest Mark Fletcher and millionaires Madeline Astor and Benjamin Guggenheim are convinced there's something sinister, almost otherworldly, afoot, 
But before they can locate the source of the danger, as the world knows, disaster strikes. Years later, Annie, having survived that fateful night, has attempted to put her life back together, working as a nurse on the sixth voyage of the Titanic's sister ship, the Britannic, newly refitted as a hospital ship. She happens across unconscious Mark, now a soldier fighting in World War I. At first, Annie is thrilled and relieved to learn that he too survived the sinking, but soon Mark's presence awakens deep buried feelings and secrets, forcing her to reckon with the demons of her past as they both discover that the terror may not be over yet. So, um, yeah, I think that I picked this book for revenge because of the supernatural spirit, the reasons the supernatural spirit comes back. And so for, for that, I don't feel like this is as concrete of a example as your book literally titled revenge, (laughs) but that is still the running theme. And so I did go back and forth with myself over recommending this particular book as like a quintessential revenge book, but I felt like I could preface it by saying it's the, it's the reason it's the drive behind the story for sure. Yeah. I know when I saw this in the doc, I was like, is it? And then I thought about it. I'm like, I guess, yeah, there is the reason that the spirit mm-hmm. is there. But yeah, I read this and it was so good. I think she does such a good job of giving everyone such a clear, concise voice. Like I was listening to this on audio and I had no problem like distinguishing who everyone was. They had like a very distinct personality and voice and narrative style. And I loved how she also put in like you know the spiritualism that was big at the time into this to kind of explain as like a conduit to explain what was going on I don't know I just it all fit in so perfectly like you can always tell she does such good research yes (laughs) but it never feels like she is just dumping research on you and like facts because I feel like there's some historical fiction where I'm like okay you enjoyed researching this way too much and like I don't want to learn about this yes if you could just tell me a story that would be great Mm -hmm. yeah I think that it's very arguable too that I could have just because of uh Um, I mean, I read Stephen King at a very young age, but as I was saying, I got introduced to dark science fiction first. Mm -hmm. Um, And so just the, I feel like I could have gone either way. I feel like I could have really gone into sci-fi land instead of horror land. But what really landed me in horror land was that sci-fi just really tends to get off on itself as far as research and molecular levels and stuff like that. And while I do appreciate a lot of um, novelists that do it so flawlessly, I mean, John Scalzi is so good at all of, at everything sci-fi. Um, but there are some, like, you know, the older books maybe, um, I mean, I can't really hurt him if I say some of them by Michael Crichton. I don't think I can hurt him after Jurassic Park. Um, there are some, like, the, uh, the old Michael Crichton books. Um, I read them, but they were very, very science-heavy. And so, yeah, I definitely agree with you on the... Uh, on the research, Amakatsu just she she's just so good at making the research be a part. Like she sort of envelops you in it. She doesn't cram it down your throat. It's like you're in mm. it. It's part of the yeah. world building. I definitely feel that way because I think I'm always a little hesitant to pick up pick up like historical books. I think just because I've had so many like bad experiences where I do feel like it's being like crammed down my throat yes. or I feel like in a cringy way. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know. Like it always feels like it's very much like a modern writer writing this time. Yeah. 
And I don't feel that way with her. And it's always like when I read her books, I'm immediately just like in that world. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I want out of all historical fiction is to just be like, I'm there now. Mm hmm. Yes, I completely agree. Um, and I think that this book is just really deserving of all of the praise that it's been getting. And so I really do recommend for everybody to pick this particular book up, not just for the revenge, but for the epically good story. And let's see. Oh, man, I had a hard time figuring out what I would put this in. I think that I, oh, yeah, it looks like I've written Fridge. But like, oh, man, Stephanie, I really read this book, like kind of on the edge of my seat. Like I couldn't read too much at night because I knew that then I'd have to be awake all night finishing it. And I used to be able to do that. But, you know, now I work full time and have a child. And so staying awake to read all night is just like that's doable, but it's a sacrifice. You know, it's like I am going to be a miserable human tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) And so as much as I wanted to, I would have to like pick sections where I'm like, okay. I feel like I can pause it right now and come back to it a little bit later, but because my heart would just be beating too fast. And so I want to say like, this is something that maybe is de-thawing in the fridge. Can I say that? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I think it definitely needs to, I think it definitely needs to be in a cold atmosphere just for, you know, just because it's the Titanic. Duh. It has to be around ice. That is true. This is really random, but like my best friend growing up, like in junior high, she went through this phase where she was really into like historical tragic romance stories for some reason. They were like weirdly specific. (laughs) That's amazing. But yeah, so they would all be like a love affair on the Titanic, like love on the Hindenburg. And I'm like, I'm going into this knowing this is not going to end well. Right. Right. (laughs) Love on the Hindenburg. Yeah. It's going to be swell. (laughs) Totally. I'm just like, why do you do this to yourself? But then again, I read horror, so. No, it, oh, right. It's like we kind of. <laughs> yeah, I have no room to. Digging our own graves at that point. Um, yeah, my sister and I, we um, will send each other uh, historical fiction that works well. Um, and it is really difficult to sometimes get over that hurdle of knowing what's going to happen. Um, you know, she sent me, I'm totally, I'm not going to remember the authors because it was so long ago. But she got on this kick with, uh, oh man, what was it called? It was like Cleopatra, Nefertiti, and oh, there was another really good one. I think that it was called like, um, oh man, it had to do with gladiators. It was called the Roman something. Um, I'll have to find it and then send it to you for notes. But those were all, those were all so good about knowing what was going to happen because you're like, there's about to be a huge famine in Rome. Like that's knowledge for someone who's about to read a book that has Rome in it, right? Um, and so I think that that's something that historical writers have to do, have to be very careful of also, because Almakatsu was working with the idea that the ship was going to sink. Everyone knows this story about the Titanic. So she has to have a different story alongside it. And so I think that that is a really interesting thing to talk about regarding historical fiction, because their jobs are almost harder in a way. Well, I think like it was good, too, that she didn't focus on kind of, I think, the main people that people know from it. So people aren't like instantly comparing their version of what they have in their head. I think she focused on people that I think we don't talk about. Right. Or that there are so many versions. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, just fictional people. When in doubt, make them up. (laughs) Should we do some chilling obsessions? Yeah, man, let's do it. I'm ready. So what have you been enjoying? I've been enjoying sleepaway camp. Um, 
I've been desperately enjoying sleepaway camp. Um, and I actually just got, I broke down, I did it, I got Shudder. And so I've been uh, kind of picking through there and seeing what I like. I finally watched uh, Last House on the Left. That was really fun. It took, That's also a... <laughs> that's also a revenge. Yeah, yeah, it is. So, you know, that one was, uh, so I've watched that one recently. Finally, I felt like that one was kind of like drifting around in my... Uh, in my yeah. to-be-watched pool for a while. And then uh, I also really love, I wanted to do a shout-out for Haunted on Netflix. And that's basically where these, um, where people are being interviewed and they're giving their own account about what happened to them. And so it's like, you know, based on real events and this is their story. And I, I love that they're being interviewed and they're talking there with their, like, friends and family. Um, and that, like, really gives it so much credit so I, yeah. I, I love that. That's probably the most recent thing that has, like, scared me. I think, I don't even know if I've seen that, like, scrolling through. I'll have to look for that. Haunted. It's not been suggested to me. I watched something today that was a lot of fun. It was called Stage Fright. Oh, tell me. This is a horror musical slasher. <gasps> no! Oh, my God! It takes place at a theater camp. I love it already yeah and so like the people the like teens are putting on a production of like it's supposed to be like phantom of the opera but it's like this weird bizarro world where it's called like the haunting of the opera they probably had to do that I don't for know. copyright <laughs> yeah well i was wondering that i'm like i don't know how like copyrights work but i'm thinking like that might be why the director is like this teenager and he's like i'm taking it in like a bold new direction and this year it's going to be set feudal japan <laughs> oh no <laughs> and so the killer is wearing like a kabuki no, mask he's not oh stephanie oh no <laughs> it's so like silly it is you know everyone's doing these like this like very show tunes type singing and then the killer has this like crazy kabuki mask and he sings like hair metal style. Oh my god. It's great. This is incredible. Meatloaf is in it. <gasps> Meatloaf. Okay. And Mini Driver. It's just it was a ton of fun. I'm like, how how did people not tell me about this? Like horror musicals like about musicals? Stage fright. Okay. It's on. Um that is what I have been showing. What platform? And, uh oh, I watched that on Tubi, which is free. Um, you can download it, and it's it's free to stream movies, but there is commercial breaks. That's kind of the like payoff for it. Tubi. I've never heard that before. Yeah, it's T U B I. Oh man, I must just be so out of the out of touch. I'm sorry. Okay, Tubi. So that was on there. There was a it had quite a good selection on there. Something new that we have been doing on the show mm-hmm. is asking about a final girl songs we have like a playlist with everyone's answers on spotify oh my god what their final girl song would be so that's what is yours that's an incredible (laughs) idea um and so i uh i selected i like it heavy by hailstorm i love them and uh i they recently they had um i'm not a big fan of the album that just recently came out and by recently i mean like a year and a half two years ago but pretty much everything up until that is just like really wonderful music. It's like perfect for running or hitting things. 
Um, and I, I really enjoy this one. Um, this one's a lot of fun. It's normally my songs that are like on playlists for when I'm writing or for when I'm running, they kind of like change over time. Like I'll delete a song I'm tired of, or, um, I'll add a couple of new ones and forget about the older ones and they just go away. This one has like stayed strong for like a few years now. So that's what made me select it. My poor husband probably knows all the words, even though he does not like them. (laughs) (laughs) So is this like a final girl fights back moment? I think that it's, I think that it kind of goes into the final girl idea of what I would like to see more final girls be of. I'm tough. I'm going to get tougher. And I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I guess the, um, the ability to kind of say, no, I'm balls to the wall. Like we're going, this is good. And it's good to be this kind of fierce um, so, you know, push me. I like it heavy. Nice. I like that. So I will add that to the Spotify playlist the day that this episode drops and people can check it out. Exciting. Thank you. Yay. Well, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about this. It's been such a blast. Thank you so much for having me, Stephanie. I was really tickled that you, uh, that you invited me. And where can people find you online? Uh, I am, I'm on Twitter. You can find uh, the podcast. You can find me and Lisa at uh, L-O-T-F pod. And then I am Kira one as in the number Kira one McKenzie on Twitter. And um, I do have a Facebook. You can just find me by my name, McKenzie Kira on that if you'd like. And uh, yeah, I think those are the only two places. I actually am kind of media light uh, by choice. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good choice. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Stephanie. Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at Books Freezer Pod, on Instagram at Books in the Freezer, on Facebook at facebook.com slash books in the freezer. There's also a Facebook group you can join if you would like to. We are on Patreon at patreon.com slash books in the freezer and if you choose to support us on patreon we have a one dollar a three dollar and a five dollar level at the one dollar or final girl level you get episodes two days in advance so on sunday instead of a tuesday when they would drop and you get to know episode topics one week in advance at the three dollar or axe wielding maniac level You get to be a part of the Voxer group. You get to vote on any movie nights that we might do. And at the $5 or malevolent spirit level, you get everything I just mentioned, plus bonus episodes. So right now, the bonus series is The End of the World as We Know It, where my husband and I read The Stand for the first time. So there are currently two episodes of that out right now. And those episodes will drop at the first of the month. You also get to know what episodes are coming up before I record. So if you have any feedback or comments that you would like to add, those might make it into the episode. You can also support the podcast by using our Amazon link. So you just click the link and then use Amazon like you normally would. The most fun, I was going to say funnest, but I don't think that's grammatically correct. Not that it matters. Anyway, the most fun thing that was purchased using the link is a Quixit, uh, Quicklock 
bird bath and this looks like a plastic bird bath that someone just clicks into a cage i'm sorry if that's inaccurate that is what i am surmising by looking at the picture the top question on here is is this good for cockatiels would it be too small to which clarible answered is good for one cockatiels only so there you go don't be getting too greedy trying to put too many cockatiels in this bird bath so if you would like to make some fun purchases, the Amazon link will be in the show notes. If you would like to support the podcast without spending any money, you can totally do that. Word of mouth is very helpful to small shows like this. So sharing on your Instagram story when the episode drops, uh, sharing on really any social media, telling your friends about it, all of it is huge. And it's really important like i said to small podcasts like this one and if you haven't already if you could take a moment and drop a rating on apple podcasts it really helps the podcast gain visibility and it helps us rank which makes the podcast easier for other people to discover I am Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Lady underscore Ganya. That's L-A-D-Y underscore G-A-G-N-O-N on Instagram at That's What She Read. And that's That's with two A's. Or on YouTube as That's What She Read. See you next time on Books in the Freezer. (laughs) 